0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, Conversations of Friends of Faith to Encourage and Equip. I'm Kim Crable, so grateful to be your host today and so grateful that you're joining us on this very special day, though you may be listening at it at a different time. Today, as we are going live, it is actually February 14th, better known as Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to each and every one of you. Today, my gift to you is bringing two of my favorite guests on, and the title of today's show is A Valentine's Gift, Authentic Marriage. All right, now think about that a minute. It's interesting, don't you think? If I'm married, if I have the signed papers, isn't that authentic enough? Well, perhaps in the world's eyes, but what about God's perspective? How authentically am I living to God's incredible plan for the marriage that I have now or preparing for the marriage that I may have? Well, I can tell you I cannot think of any two more capable to answer this question and so many more than today's guest. Author of Wall Street to the Well, pastor of Redemption Hills Church near Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado, and husband to our other co-host who is joining us today, they are Trish and Pastor Fullendorf. So why are they so amazing? Let's bring them on, and you will within minutes discover why. So welcome, friends. Welcome back to coffee. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kim. Hey, guys, how are Glad you?
1: Doing well. Yeah, we're among the vertical, which we is are. great.
0: And you know what
2: I realized as I was listening to your intro, we have not said Happy Valentine's Day to one another yet. Yeah. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy
0: Valentine's
2: Day, honey. <laughs> Thanks, honey.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh see, there you go. We've already we've already met a goal today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, you're, is, is, I got up this so I got up it?
1: this morning and I was I got up this morning I was thinking, you know, I didn't get Trisha Valentine's Day guest. Um
2: yeah, we, we usually just kind of go out to dinner or something. We don't always do the gift thing on Valentine's Day.
0: You know, my husband and I have the same. We, we just kind of, it's really odd the way we think about Valentine's Day. I love it. I love the sentiment. I love the feeling. But I don't love Feeling like I have to be pushed by a gift, so we do the same thing. We, we'll do dinner, we'll take a walk together, or something that signifies or celebrates, you know, our marriage, our love. But I don't know. It's like I want him to buy a gift when I'm not expecting it. So there you go, Pastor Stu. Just hold off on that and surprise her one day next week when she's least expecting. <laughs> we Will do, we
1: will do. I mean, we we are uh, we uh, we're buying so much stuff on Amazon. It's Like every day is a gift day, anyway, right? And it rings the front doorbell. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey,
0: Trish, um, is it not the best? I mean, it is the best. <laughs> it is the best. All, All right, it has, it has so much time. Oh yes. Well, it is truly so good to have you all. You've been on this show a few times. You've been on the TV show a few times. And, you know, you've just become our, our favorite couple, our favorite pastor and wife. And, you know, and it's just because of the authenticity in which you live. And I love that you you seek that in every part of your lives. And, and so today I want, you know, what a gift it will be for our listeners to be able to hear you know how your marriage became strong, the, the struggles, and, and even you know you, how you carry that on even today. So before we get started, for those who are unfortunate, those unfortunate ones who uh, who don't know you and don't know your story, um, let's just start with how this all began. Let's let's go back to BC time, before Christ time in your life, and let's talk about who you were then. Well, I- I'll
1: kick That's it off. And, awesome. uh, yeah. uh, I'll I'll kick it off. Uh, Trish and I, uh, neither one of us grew up um, Christians. Uh, Trish grew up in a you know a, a functional Roman Catholic home, but really didn't have a relationship with Christ. And I, I grew up um, in, in nothing, uh, paganism, New Age spirituality, and so forth. And so. My parents got divorced at a pretty early age. My mom was actually married and divorced um, six times. I've said seven before, but it was actually once to the same man. And so I really turned to real self-sufficiency in my own life, just to kind of take care of myself by necessity. And uh, and Trish grew up differently than I did.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had a, um, a very a, a lovely childhood. Um, and great parents, um, pretty pretty healthy by um, today's standards, but we just um, did not have a personal relationship uh, with Jesus. Um, we had a Bible in our home, and it never was opened. So. Trish and I, uh, we met in a bar, which was perfect, and uh, 11 months later, we
1: were married. Uh, I set, set off to We set off to make our, our ways, and I went to business school, University of San Diego, got my MBA. Trish was actually an aerospace engineer. And, yeah, we set off to make our ways. And then in um, 1996, 97 time period, um, Trish became a Christian.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, God saved me through um, – through um, it was the Left Behind book that a friend gave to me, and it just um, spoke volumes to me. And uh, one thing led to another. I ended up going to a women's retreat um, at a church that I had been attending, And uh, the Holy Spirit moved in that weekend, and I was radically saved.
1: And in the meantime, I um, had um, been given some gifts and became a CFO of a company at the age of 29, and we took that company public when I was 31 years old. And then we moved to Seattle, where I became the CFO and a board member of another company that we took public, and then uh, became an investment banker for a few years, doing mergers and acquisitions, and then... Um, took an on, another job, took another company public, and it was actually Trish and I went through about an eight-year period of being unequally yoked.
2: Hopefully uh, so. Yeah,
1: and it wasn't yeah, it wasn't me being ambivalent about um, the Christian worldview. It was me being very hostile. Uh, Trish would read the Bible in the mornings. She was being very devout, and you know I would criticize her for being a Jesus freak and a Bible bumper and we had tremendous um, conflict during that time period at the same time as I was um, getting, gaining um, material success. I was, was growing in dissatisfaction. I was drinking more and more. I was a functional alcoholic and then later on became a dysfunctional alcoholic where my whole life completely collapsed. But God worked through that uh, through a very difficult time period. And then On an initial public offering roadshow of the last company I was on, after a few years of my heart softening going to church, God and the Holy Spirit moved in and saved me in London at the Savoy Hotel, and that was 2006. And since then, for the last 15 years, um, so heading into 16, life has just changed dramatically. Much of it early through suffering, as our idols were broken, my reputation went through lawsuits. I struggled to get sober. Um, Trish and I, um, the Holy Spirit moved in and was able to redeem and reconcile our, our marriage. And finally, by 2011, I happy. it's been 11 years ago. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually went back to seminary, and over a four-year period, got my Master of Divinity degree. I got into full-time ministry, became a pastor, and, and God just continues through the ups and downs of life in a broken world really continues to bless and really is blessing, just continues to bless.
2: Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, our church is growing and our marriage is the best it's ever been. And we can honestly say that now we are each other's best friend.
0: Yeah. You know, for the listeners out there, that it almost sounds too good to be true. I mean, it is just, I mean, it, and I know that it's true. And I, and this, and it's so, it's, some of it's documented in your book, Wall Street to the Well. It, it just, for anybody listening out there that has a marriage that you think cannot be saved, this is why I wanted Stu and Trish on, because it is a story of truly what God can do, but but only God can do it. And um, Pastor Stu, in your book, I love the part where you're talking about if you don't mind, just share how you why you called this Wall Street to the well. I, I love the Samaritan woman. Would you just bring that aspect in to anyone who's listening out there? Just so I, I always like to cover the bases. I want people to know that they know that they know Jesus, because if you don't, then everything else you, you're building on is not a solid foundation. So for those who aren't sure, maybe just could you give a synopsis of how you started um, surrender to the lord and ask him into your life
1: yeah so trish really um and i'm sure we'll talk more about this and through her actions and submission in our marriage and her holiness set such an example for me and then we had a great church we went to that um, i was intrigued by and my heart started to soften and the reason why we call it wall street to the well is um i and, and still am greatly moved by the story about the undeserving Samaritan woman at the well in John four. And to this day, I, I, Trish will tell you, I preach through the book, we preached through the book of John and I, I just broke down and wept as we were in John four, because there was no man who was more unworthy than me as far as a rebel and being saved at the age of 43. And as I was reading, um, and still do, uh, The Samaritan woman at the well, there was no woman who was more unworthy of having Christ convey himself as God come to earth than this woman who had been, you know, an adulteress and had been was seen as a half-breed Samaritan and unworthy and would go to the well in the middle of the day because she was, even within the Samaritan community, considered unworthy. And then Jesus loved her and, and saved her and convinced her of who he was and so i um in my own way um really related to the samaritan woman at the well having been saved by by christ an unworthy man and then uh, and of course then it's not just the samaritan woman at the well i realized in my own studies that whether it's the apostle paul or david in the old testament or moses or whoever you know we're all unworthy but i could but i could really I could really relate to the Samaritan woman at the welder because there was nothing about her that was worthy of God's grace and mercy. And so the reason the book is named wall street to the well is I, you know, had been having all this material success and took companies public and God led me from um, wall street to the well of the Samaritan woman. Mm
0: -hmm. I I love, I love that. And, and um, friends that are listening, you can get this on Amazon and, I mean, I've just read it over and over, and given so many copies. Wall Street to the well—it's a—it's just a great—it's a great synopsis of so many different. Goes into so many different um, areas that so many different people can relate to. Well, let's get back into. Okay, so Trish, your husband, who you've been praying for uh, all these years, uh, comes home. How does he tell you that he's accepted Christ? <laughs>
2: That's a funny story. Um, he didn't. <laughs>
0: So
2: here we have many years. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Here we had so many years of a tumultuous marriage, and um, him absolutely knowing that I was this devout Christian. And you would think that after he was saved in the Savoy Hotel in that very dramatic fashion, that he would have immediately called me or something, and and shared this with me. But he didn't. And we know now it's because the thought of what had happened to him was so overwhelming that to tell me and share that with me was going to make it that much more real. And so he actually didn't tell me. And so what happened is, is over time, I just started seeing signs of his um, sharp softening and he was changing. And then, um, and then the funny story is, is that, um, a number of years later, we've launched quite a few Celebrate Recoveries. Um, and one, I was, um, we were at a Celebrate Recovery, and Stu was speaking to everyone, and he shared the story, what happened in the Savoy Hotel, and I was shocked. <laughs> so we get in the car to drive home, and I was like, uh, yeah, about that London hotel room story, you have never shared that with me before, and he was like, "Oh, did I? Did I not do that?" So yeah, so that's kind of one of our funny stories. Sometimes
1: men aren't the greatest communicators.
0: <laughs> you think? Do you really think, Pastor Sue? I, I agree. Well, you know, and what that also is a man who was uh, a self-professing very arrogant and always thought about himself. You know, I think there again shows how his his focus had shifted to more about being more like Jesus than talking about it. So there's there's some good good stuff in that well, we could talk you know, about.
1: You know what? So. Not, that, there, there's, there's no question that was part of it, but part of it as well was um, mm-hmm. I was still fighting the flesh early because I realized that I was actually there was an element of what is this going to mean. Uh, I could yeah. tell my priorities. 1st will tell truth I could tell my priorities were changing, but I had such a in my own mind in my own heart a high level. Position and and all of it, that I, I literally was a little I was somewhat frightened when I first when I first began. Now I had this joy of, of Christ and this purpose and 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 all of that. But I was having these, some of these guilty feelings, like I don't really want to do this anymore. And yet, and I've realized now that the kingdom can be built anywhere that we're at. I mean, men don't have to drop out of being you know CEOs and CFOs; they can actually convey the kingdom where they are. But I, I I didn't tell her because was, there was an element of, like, what's this going to mean? And I was a little bit frightened by it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Interesting. I love that. And, you know, that is so true. I'm sure everybody can, can definitely relate to that. But what I love that you said in addition to that is, and I think this is a strong message because so many people think, well, if I really dive into this relationship with Christ, if I really Surrender to him, gosh, he may send me, you know, to be a missionary in a land I don't even want to go into, not even right. realizing that he's he's placed us right where we can minister in our neighborhood, in our workplaces. So that's a, that's a huge point that should really relieve a lot of people with some anxiety this morning.
1: That's right. And I've had men come up to me in our church saying, Pastor, love you, love to. I feel surrendered, as surrendered as you do. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking about going back to seminary and getting out of business, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell them, I'm like, well, those are big decisions. I mean, God kind of pulled me that way. But, you know, your kingdom can be in your accounting firm. Uh, you know, you can yeah. you can uh, sell you can sell cars and convey the glory of Christ. Maybe you should consider that. Yeah. And so we'll have those kind of conversations.
0: Absolutely, I can remember when I was in, in when I was working more with teens, and one of the questions I get so often these little girls would say, Ms. Kim, do you think it's okay for me to be a cheerleader and be a Christian?" You know, and and some mm-hmm. you know. That, that, Thoughts in their minds that they they couldn't be, and I would always, you know, and it was always such a good conversation for them to understand that they could still participate in the things that they love, and just not participate in the things that you know maybe that might bring into their lives. That maybe God has put them right there to be the light, you know, and to be Jesus right there. So, um, and I I love that whole thought process of. You know, wherever you are, is where wherever your feet are, that's your mission field. You know, in the grocery mm-hmm. store and the accounting, wherever your feet are, that's, that's your mission field. So how then, did, so we, Trish, I hear a little bit there where you, you start hearing your marriage begin, begins to change. And so what was it, what, what would you say uh, that you began to see first and, and how did your marriage begin to evolve? In a different way
2: Yeah so um, I He first of all Started showing more of an interest In um, going to church And um, you know God's word And um, praying um, All of those things But then in our marriage um, He just He was um, softer Kinder more loving um, And then you know One of um, I, I frequently in our marriage talk about my love language is um, is service and, and not so much uh, me serving, but <laughs> I love for my husband to do some, you know, chores around the house. And so that started changing, too. He started um, – like emptying the dishwasher and I mean you should see our routine now I mean I feel like we are a well-oiled machine in how we divvy up the responsibilities of of the home um and so anyway all of those things were new and different and I I know it is just it was the holy spirit moving in and um he was he was changing and then one day I remember we um were driving And he just turned to me, and he said, "Um, Trish, my heart is softening. And when those words came out of his mouth, I thought, here we go. I I had goosebumps. I thought, this is it. He's he's been saved. And um, I was trying inside. I was doing the Snoopy dance, but on the outside, (laughs) I was trying to keep it together, like, oh, okay, you know. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that was that was a big that was a big day.
0: I love the way he just so nonchalantly just said that as he's driving down the road. That's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Okay, so now our first question that we're going to talk to about how to recognize when we are deviating from God's plan in our marriage. First, I want what is God's plan for our marriage. What is a biblical? And I know that may be too broad a spectrum. So if you can just bring it down into, I know you could do a whole conference on that, but if you could just sum it up, a summation. What? What if God looks upon our marriages today? What would He want to see?
1: Yeah, that's great. I think again, it's not dissimilar to just our general relationship with with God in the in the biblical marriage model, and that is you know, to glorify God and convey Christ in our marriage. As mm-hmm. Christ loves the church, for, for an example, so should um, a man love his wife. And so I think the, the, the real purpose of marriage, right, is to, glor- is to glorify God. It's to um, convey the relationship that Christ has with his people in the church um, in his kingdom to, to, you know, to his glory. That yeah, people will look at that hear that and they'll say well that's very nebulous what does that what does that really mean well you know the bible's really clear about the the sort of the biblical model and what the what marriage looks like like the characteristics of a biblical church of a biblical um marriage and so yeah i think it's i think marriages are really to god's glory about that relationship of coin fellowship
2: mm-hmm. you yeah absolutely and um um the relationship that uh Christ has with God the Father um you know we'll kick it off with that and and the submission there and marriage is to is to model or mirror that relationship between Jesus and and his father and um you know that is not popular um in in this culture that we're living in but um but boy does it um does it work well yeah you know, Kim. One of the things I think
1: that we use these big words at times, and I'm going to use one, but it's it's very practical. There's what's the existential nature of the application of the biblical model to marriages, and what it really just means is when the truth of how we live our lives in, in a marriage is biblical, that then the results of that are amazing. They, they it's like there's truth to this well how how can you say it's true because when we live by you know the, sub, the submission or that the, that the husband loves his wife as christ loves the church or that we are you know the husband is growing in knowledge or that the, the marriage is the, the husband and wife are praying together or the couples honor the differences with each other or that the husband dwells together with the wife and it doesn't work so much and i, I mean there's it's very practical when that happens all of a sudden it's like wow what an amazing result within the marriage and it speaks so much to the truth of just the biblical model of marriage
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah that that's really I, I wrote this down i wrote uh biblical model of marriage i think we need to come back and do something there because um, I think that we've just like with anything else when I was doing my live this morning I was talking about forgiveness and I was ta- you know if we don't understand what Jesus means about forgiveness about marriage or, then we isn't it true that we begin to conjure up our own thinking our own theology before long we're we're living based on what we think without really taking the time to dive into what what is the biblical model of marriage. What, what, how, and how am I, how's my life going to be affected by it? So I, I think that that's something that we all need because we're getting too much views from TV and Facebook and all this other stuff. But I love what you said, how it, uh, once it's lived right, the true difference that it makes. So how do we recognize when we are deviating from God's plan? What are, what are some things for us to look for today?
1: Yeah, when we deviate, we we see sin mm-hmm. in the camp all over the place, don't we? It's the opposite of how the truth how truth conveys um, peace and joy and all the fruits of the spirit. Then all of a sudden, if marriages aren't um, in, in a biblical model. Uh, and aren't um, you know abiding by the biblical guidance and, and all of that? Then sin enters the camp, and so then all of a sudden we see what the anger and the opposites of the fruits. We see the anger and the dis- dysfunction, the dissension, and
2: control.
1: Yeah, all all those things. But I think so many people can then you know can relate to. And you know the problem is you were talking about creating our own theology, and that is so true because when we create our own theology, it's never right, uh, and and yeah. it's because we. It, yeah it's because of genesis 3 we our minds are prey then we battle the flesh and then of course then as christians we are redeemed but we still continue to battle the flesh so we create our own theology around this and boy does it impact our marriages and that's why 50 percent of marriages you know and in, in divorce although i think that's that number is overstated i think with with christian marriages people often say, it and it's the same with christians I, I actually disagree with that i don't know exactly what the numbers are, but I do think Christian worldviews leads to, you know, much more success and much more peace. Um, but, you know, but yeah, that's how it's, it's the sin that kind of arises in the dysfunction within the relationship. Those are the indications of what happens. Yeah, What did we have?
2: It. and we, Yeah, we had well, no well, peace, and now we have an abundance of peace. We still, we still argue, don't want anyone to think that we're perfect out there, and and I'm still—we um, both are still a work in progress, and still um, learning about each other. We have to humble ourselves on a daily basis, and and so on and so forth. But um, but boy, it's it's very different today.
0: Yeah, uh, I, and we hear that through your words, and just—I uh, don't know—just maybe the Holy Spirit. Just, it just—it just so rings of so much hope in my heart, and and so. I just thank you again for for giving us a full hour of your time. We're going to take a 30-second break. And when we get back, um, Pastor and Trisha, I'd like for us to take a minute and talk about the interrupters that come into our marriages. We're beginning to, you know, when we really become believers and we really uh, commit our marriages, you know, I, I know just so many interrupters. I know uh, things that that word that you that you mentioned, uh, Pastor Sin, you know, um, there's so many things that our minds are entangled in um, that we need to figure out a way to set ourselves free. I'm talking about pornography. I'm talking about alcohol. I'm talking yep. about different forms. Or abuse you know verbal Or you know I want to talk I want to be real I want to be real For as we always are that's why I love Y'all so much you know let's talk about Some of these things that are really trying to wreak Havoc in our marriages And, and callers uh, I mean not uh, Audience if you'd like to call in um, You know we'll only have 30 minutes but I would love to And I know Pastor Stu and Trish would love To take your questions or your thoughts You can call in uh, this last Hour of our show It's, uh, the number is 347-324-5246, excuse me, 347-324-5246. Be sure and press 1 and you'll, excuse me, and you will, I will know that you're here. Can you all tell it's allergy season here? Our uh, executive director, Melinda, will let me know that you're in the waiting room, and we'll bring you on live to ask your question. So uh, we'll be back in 30 seconds, and we're going to talk about the things that are trying to interrupt our marriage. Be right back. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind.
1: As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coffee, conversations of friends of faith to encourage and equip I'm Kim Crable, and I'm so delighted that you take the time to join us and to pass these messages along. Today we are so honored to have with us um, Stu and Trish Fullendorf from just outside Denver, Colorado. Um, Pastor Stu is the author of Wall Street to the Well. You must pick this up, and you might as well get two or three copies when you order it because you are going to want to pass those out to your friends. It is just full of so much um, concrete hope in christ and you're going to love it you are want to pass it along i love them so much because they are just um true reflections of what god can do in our lives and when god gets a hold of us you know how he so uh, how his transformational power and healing that can happen but it doesn't mean that we have a magic wand that is, you know, just swings over our head and 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 Jesus says and you're okay and you're okay and you're okay. It's work, and He allows us to do that work, and um, and it helps as an example. I believe, I, Pastor Sue, you can jump in here, but I believe God doesn't just, you know sprinkle fairy dust on us and make us okay, because I think part of our testimony is in the struggle of other people seeing that we love something greater than ourselves, and it's Jesus, and we're, we're willing to die to self so that we can align our lives to be more like him. What do you think about that concept?
1: Yeah, I mean, Revelation twelve eleven, right? He, the enemy, is defeated by the blood of the Lamb in our own testimony. And I am highly moved by the testimony of not only the the characters in in the Bible that we all are so aware of that are wholly unworthy of the work that God put in ours, but I'm I'm actually moved every day. As part of what keeps me going is to God's glory of what He does with the everybody in the world I come in contact with that have come out of prison or you know come out of alcoholism or. Or even more so, just simply have been, you know, in, you know, lingering in their own sins and how their testimonies are are such a reflection on the mercy and grace of God, and yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, Ken. And it's got it God works through that. I tell you, uh, even more profound that God's hand is in it because it's how He conveys Himself to people. So there's always great hope that even if people are in the deepest Sins and struggling with alcohol and drugs and adultery and and other things that there's great hope in that because God can use that uh, to convey the great the great redeemer which he is
0: mm-hmm. absolutely well let's just talk about that a minute let's talk about some of the things that you had to personally overcome um, in your life and how you were dealing with that and maybe how Trish responded to that because you've talked about and and you said something um earlier, I wrote down that you became a functional alcoholic to a dysfunctional alcoholic. Um, I find that, you know, what does that mean and what steps did you take and how, and, you know, once an alcoholic, you know, they always say you, you still have those tendencies. I'm re- recovered from eating disorders and I know my triggers. I know, even though it's been 30 some years, I know that that still would rest inside me. Not that I'm not totally healed from it, but there's still because I lived that life for so long, I know I know those triggers. So let's talk about that. For uh, what were some of the things that that you all walked through?
1: Yeah, I think what a kind of big picture, Kim and, and then Trish can definitely chime in on this particular issue as well. We our story is very much in my story, one as opposed to somebody who was um, you know abused and you know and. and things were really crumbling on top of is uh, we were actually receiving about everything we ever thought that we wanted. And and in that, it's almost like the book of Ecclesiastes. It's it's like the more and more I got of the material things and the career things that I thought I wanted, the more despair I was starting to feel because it was it didn't have the kind of purpose that I thought it would lead to and I thought I wanted them. And so, there, you know, we often use, 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 the, use these little plots, but one thing is like the good things that become god things become bad things. Well, we we were getting what we what I thought were, were an enormous amount of good things, and they then became god things for me, and they really became bad things that really wrecked and destroyed. Alcohol is one of one of those things. I mean, there's nothing in it of it's, it's about alcohol. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing better than a '93 Super Tuscan Sassicaia, um, that drink, if you have one or two glasses of it, is a good thing. In fact, if the by, they out just fine. The problem is that when it just like anything in life becomes a god thing, which is what happened with me with alcohol, um, it became a bad thing. And uh, it's why I'm working on a book now on counterfeit worship or worship disorder. I'm still debating on the title of the book, but it's really about addiction as a worship disorder because it was the empty that empty mm-hmm. hole in my heart. Um, being filled with alcohol, and and for el- any of us, it can be anything. It can be money. It can be appearances. It can be our kids' performance. Okay. Porn. Mm-hmm. For me, though, that porn in the flesh definitely became alcohol. It's where I went to to, to you know, um,
2: okay,
1: yeah, I medicate, but I also went when I was joyful. I went to celebrate and just became mm-hmm. it. And it got to the point when I say dysfunctional that by 2000. Two years after becoming a Christian, which I think is very profound, and my sin was becoming more profound, I was using it every day. I was drinking it every day. I, I had I had wine and vodka at two o'clock in the morning next to my bed, so when I woke up, I could drink to go back to sleep again, and finally ended up in, in rehab. And, again, I think this is one of the great encouragements for people. Um, my sin became more profound after becoming a Christian, and it wasn't until 11 years ago, some three years after being saved, or four years, three years, so more than 11, 12 years ago, that I actually went to rehab and got sober. And so, again, it's one of these where, was I a Christian? Yeah, I was a Christian, but I was enslaved to, um, to this thing that is not necessarily a bad thing, a good thing that became a God thing for me.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people oftentimes think that the second you're saved, that all of your sin issues just immediately go away. Well, that was not mm-hmm. the case in our situation at all. Um, things got worse.
0: Yeah,
1: <clears throat> it was about three years of real suffering. When God worked on it, and then again, God is redeemed, and we still suffer through certain things. We have a better, much grander view of how God's hand is in it, but it was a, it was it was God purifying.
2: Mm-hmm. We were
1: the gold was being purified.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. So what would you say um, to anyone who's struggling with an addiction, any type of addiction, um, you know, that they just have, they're trying so hard and they're, you know, they're, they're doing all the things that people tell them to do and they are believers. What, what, what keeps you sober? I mean, I know you did the rehab. I know people have done rehab. My, I uh, have family members who did do that. But what, what is the secret to staying so Yeah,
1: that's great. That's, that's great, Kim. The first, the first one for me, and I, I can only speak personally, but also just kind of as a model of what, what I see, because I deal with this all the time. If I've heard churches booming with people mm-hmm. who have struggled with these or are struggling. The first thing is it's, it's, there has to be a recognition through the Holy Spirit or, or through a recognition of what the Word says that I have a problem. I I realized that um, before I was a Christian, Trish would say, "You got that you're an alcoholic," and I would be.
2: Oh, that didn't sit well with him.
1: Yeah. Time
2: I used the A word.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I had to come to terms after becoming Christian. And the way that happened for me was, I realized I cannot glorify God when I read about drunkenness and be a drunk. I just could not do it. But having said Mm -hmm. that, I could not not drink. And a lot of people say, oh, how weak. That's terribly weak. No, I'm telling you, I could not not drink. I needed help. And so the, the, the wow. first step in this, these good things become God things, is realizing this is ruining my life. It's ruining my marriage. It's ruining my career. It's keeping me from being who I can be in God's sight. And it's more, the most important thing is it's ruining my vertical relationship with God.
2: Mm-hmm. And when I
1: realized that, that's where the motivation really hit me. Now, it took, it was hard. It, it, Crystal tells us, I was a Christian. I had to go through rehab. I relapsed after rehab It came out. It had to be a full and complete commitment to Christ and to my own sobriety together, and those went together, to get sober. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. So we ended up walking away from a million dollars. I owned a wine distributorship. That's a wonderful idea for an alcoholic to own a wine distributorship yeah uh, and we had to do all these different things that then took the temptations away and the triggers and to this day, I will have people come up to me. Now, I'm a pastor of a church, and I will speak openly to people. they'll say, Pastor, you've been sober eleven years. It must be wonderful not to be not to have these temptations and I'll say, You have to be kidding me. Um, mm-hmm. I am sober, and I praise God for it, but I have temptations often. And I just simply love God more and Christ more than I love the alcohol.
2: Mm-hmm. He has a beautiful and healthy um, sense of uh, the fear of God, and and that you know he just loves God so much. And yeah. So for the men, so for the men and women
1: out there who are. Christians that are dealing with the guilt and shame and saying, I know what the fruits of the Spirit are, and I know what the gifts of the Spirit are, and I I'm, I cannot not drink, and I'm struggling, or whatever it might be. Um, I, I just really want to tell people, understand that God, will, God is in this, that it doesn't make you weak. It, it makes you a human being, and that he will use that. I mean, the Apostle Paul, right, prayed three times to have this thorn removed. And God said, my grace is, and he said, this thorn given to me by Satan. And he prayed to have it removed. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. It said, and Paul said, it's in my weakness, I am made strong. And he even praised the fact that he had this thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's often the thorn in the flesh that then helps us and leads us to a greater surrender to Christ. And the minute that I start thinking real haughty, like I've got this all conquered, all I have to do is think about alcohol, that thorn in the flesh, and other matters that I talk about in my book about, you know, google my name and all that stuff you can but but i just really want to encourage people you you can be a christian and be struggling with these matters and then the question's always how and what process do we go through in our sanctification to try to get through it and for me it was rehab it was commitment it was aa meetings it was celebrate recovery it was even becoming a pastor Mm -hmm. because in many ways i tell our church i became a pastor because of my weaknesses and god uses all of that so yeah i would just encourage people you're a christian but, you know, you can't just linger in the sin and the addiction.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. And there's something that you said there. You said so much right there. But there's something I think is so key. And um, this is something that you're going to hear in counseling over and over and over, uh, listeners. And that is what Pastor Sue said. He made a commitment to Christ and to himself. You know, you can't. Do this based on, I mean, as much as you love Trish, you could not do that for Trish, or you couldn't do that Mm -hmm. for, you know, it had to be through your love of Jesus, and that you wanted to reflect that love. Just talk about that just for a minute, because I think people are trying, I know, people are trying to do it for those that they love. And it, you're, as much as you love them, there's got to be a greater commitment, and it has to be the only one who can truly help you. When all those people leave you or abandon you or love you to yep. death, there has to be commitment to the Lord. True?
1: True. Kim, I wanted to be sober. I couldn't, I couldn't do it without help and over, and over time. I, would t- I told Trish um, I would go on some drunken bender and pass out, just being honest. And I would wake up the next morning, and I'd say, Trish, if I do this again, divorce me. I love Trish deeply. I loved her at the time. And I would tell tell her, I would tell my daughter if she saw me vomit all over myself, you know, I promise you I'm done doing this. And the next day, I'm doing it again. Uh, you know it's the it's the insidious nature of alcoholism and addiction, and just the, and again, you can throw other sins in there i you know, if I eat like this again, I'm a hundred pounds overweight, then you know, and we do it again, and it's you know but paul Pauline says you know it's in the law I sin sin that the that that sin becomes more abound so I again, in my life, the only way I could get sober is to quit thinking about I have to do it for her, I have to do it for others, I have to for my career. and what really got me there is i i it has to come through that vertical relationship with Christ. I cannot be a God-glorifying Christian and be a drunkard. I couldn't do it. Then, when I got drunk, I would not be a nice man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, it, you know, and i wake up mm-hmm. the next morning feeling all this remorse and all this regret. And, you know, repentance is not just feeling bad for, about what we did, but it's, there's an element of change. Right? If we repent, we have to feel contrition, mm-hmm. we have to confess, and we have to change and it's not really repentance if we just keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. So I, again, with great um, mercy and a great feeling of empathy for people, um, I could not, not get there without help and without uh, prayer and without a relationship with Christ and without rehab and all the stuff stuff in the world that I needed. And, yeah, it took a full-on, head-on mm-hmm. battle <laughs>
2: yep. to get there. did the 12 steps. Uh, yeah, so he's a lot. Yeah.
0: And and what was your part during this, Trish? When you saw him doing all this, what what did you find was the best way to uh, to stand by him, to, to be to help to be that helpmate?
2: Well, um, I one of my thorns in the flesh is my desire to control. <laughs> so, um so okay. I you know, I was trying to learn as much as I could learn about addiction and um, things that I learned were that, you know, how powerful the 12 steps were and going to meetings. And so I would do stuff like um, as when Stu was in the infancy of his um, recovery and he was having a bad day and, you know, didn't want to go to a meeting, <clears throat> I literally would, like, force him into the car and drive him to the meeting. And walk him into the meeting and sit him down, <laughs> and then I would like go into another room and wait or whatever but um there so I just so I just was like, "Oh my gosh, you know he has to get from point A to point B. What can I do to help facilitate that and so um mm-hmm. so I was maybe a little bit more controlling than I should have been, but um but yeah, and we we prayed together a lot, we cried together um.
1: So, so Kim, one of the things from my perspective that Trish did, I think I would recommend for everybody is you have you have to understand that the person's trying to get sober, and you have to forgive yeah. because a lot of carnage happens. And so, again, it's the alcoholic's fault, the drug addict's fault that there's no trust in the relationship. But when but when the person, the man or woman, starts to show the progress and you start seeing the changes and all of that you have to start at some point or another accepting that they're putting their effort into it and trust and forgive and, and quit throwing things. And mm-hmm. Trish did, Trish did a great job of that. It, it didn't take long and probably a few months of me being sober where she started to trust. Mm-hmm. And then she stopped throwing things that had happened in the past through it in front of me. And she started to act as a Christian woman, which was the forgiving and uh, the joy of having a, uh, emerging emerging a sober husband, and and that was a big deal. It was like, forget what lies in the past and run the race moving forward to the glory of God. And then at that point, things really started coming together. But again, it's that forgiveness and grace and trust, and it comes through, and the alcoholic has to be sober. Mm -hmm. But once that you get sober Mm and start working it, then you have to show the grace and mercy to them. Mm -hmm.
2: And every day that went by that he stayed sober, I um, stopped, you know, looking for, uh, is he lying to me? You know, where is he really? And You know what I mean? I stopped doing all those things, and I just was like, okay.
1: Lord, you have this.
2: Lord, this one day at a time, and and if he's going to do his one day at a time, I'm going to do my one day at a time, and that is through forgiveness and trust.
0: And how did you handle it when he relapsed, Trish? Because uh, he mentioned that he had gone to rehab and then there was a relapse. Was that long after the um, the rehab, or was that was there a... Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Two, yeah.
2: Okay. It's well, like two or three long. weeks. Um, yeah. So um, it was scary, but um, I like one of the things that I already mentioned is that um, I I worked really hard to learn. Um, a lot about um, addiction and recovery, and one of the things, Mm -hmm. one of the classes that I took, his um, rehab place um, had classes for the family members, is that that relapse is part of recovery, and it's very common. Um, As a matter of fact, I think it's um, highly unusual when someone gets out of, well, I don't know if I want to use the word highly, but anyway, it's very common to relapse. And so that was helpful for me so that um, when it happened, I wasn't filled with total despair, like, oh, my gosh, she's never going to get sober. Uh, So anyway, so education is is really important um, in the process. But Kim, she was mad at me. She was mad. I was, yeah, she's she, she, disappointed. Right.
1: She she She's like, you know, other people are out of rehab. Other people are out of rehab, and they didn't relapse. What are you doing? Right. I remember the crap. And that actually had a positive impact on me. But then, then the bigger issue was it's not going to work. Our watch is not going to work the way it is for, and for me to be sober. And, it, again, at the time we were in, we had a wine distributorship business. Um, that I talk about in the book, and I had to walk away from that. I, I walked away from ab- about a million dollars. Um, and mm-hmm. um, and we, Chris and I weren't wealthy at the time, but, you know, a million dollars was a lot of money for us. And um, we just said, hey, if I'm going to be sober and we're going to glorify God, I cannot do this. And so I did. Mm-hmm. I, I walked away from the business, and the my sobriety and my relationship with Christ was more important than on than the money, mm-hmm. and and it just shows you how I was trying to get I was trying to get sober I really was and so and then from that point forward things really started getting better and you know it was all part of the process but mm-hmm. yeah don't, when we talk about this in a very intellectual way Trix was really she was really angry
2: yeah yeah I don't I don't want to make light of this we actually have had. Um, as you can imagine, while he was in recovery, um they offered lots of counseling and everything, so we had lots of marriage counseling and one of the things that um one of our counselors said to both of us about me is that um he felt that I had PTSD yeah. from um from every time Stu got drunk, yeah, right. so just just being real, yeah
1: yeah yeah,
2: and now oh, absolutely love
1: it. Almost 12 years now of sobriety, mm-hmm. so we praise God for it. So.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Right. And and one more question. Then I want then I want to go to uh, I want you to you all to talk about if someone feels like that their marriage is uh, in in crisis right now. I want to if you could give them just a few things to help them quickly. But uh, Pastor, Stu, I want to ask you? You you did bring up something that. You, when someone asks you, it must be nice not to have those temptations, and that you do. So, what do you? What is your? What goes through your mind? How have you uh, prepared your mind to handle the temptation of alcohol?
1: Okay. Yeah. So, first thing is is absolute honesty, uh, and we have like even within our church community, and I'm the senior pastor of the church. One of the things that we keep hearing from people is. The, this term honesty and authenticity and, and all of that, and I think it sometimes it actually shocks people that um, I, I'll be so honest about it because they know they they know my story they've read the book and they 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 know there are times where as an example in, in recovery there's the concept of RIDs the restless irritables and discontents. and there there are days that I have still have the RIDs I think we all do. What I've what I've learned in my own life is not to cover it. Not not. I mean, I don't have to be a jerk, but um, at the same time, Trish can sense that I'm having a really restless day, that I'm discontent or I'm irritable, and so can um, our congregation. Our congregation is growing like a weed, but the people who know me know that as well. They also know when I'm preaching and other things that in in light of that, sometimes that'll actually be one of the things the Holy Spirit uses. So there's this great understanding. We've created transparency. The last, the last thing I think people ever want to do when they're struggling with any sin issue, forget it, it, alcohol is one, drugs another, pride, anger, materialism, all of this stuff is is wearing these masks. And I mean that in a figurative right. way. To to right. cover up things and say everything's everything's good. I think people would say that when they talk to me, they generally know whether I what I'm what, how I'm feeling.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I don't,
1: I don't emote mm-hmm. um, You know, in a useless way. But um, I told somebody on Sunday, two Sundays ago, that I was talking to her after Kirk. She was trying to talk to me. It sounded like the Charlie Brown thing. Wah, 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 and I and I finally told her. I said I, I can't. I know you're telling me stuff that I have to apologize to you. I can't listen to you because all I'm hearing is that and I'm, I'm tired and I'm hearing you but I'm not even listening to you. And she's like, Well, thank mm-hmm. you for telling me I'll talk to you tomorrow and said, Thank you for that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. I, so I, Well uh, so and I, I think, think that's
0: Because of- uh-huh. people are gonna pick up on it anyway, and I think that's one of the things that I've just admired the one of the qualities I admire so much. About both of you are that the authenticity and I mean, just the pure honesty that just we feel from you. And I think that that's, that's why people want to listen because we don't want pie in the sky, everything is great, sprinkle this fairy dust on you and it's okay. You know, except Jesus. Yeah, your life is going to change and it's going to be wonderful and you have this great peace in your heart, but boy, you get into battle mode too. And he requires you to start cleaning up your life a little bit and and you want to. You want to. So, I just want to thank you all for just your honesty and um and 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 I hope that and I know you've just given so much great um help to so many people today. We only have about five minutes left, and you know we we did we went I, I took you all off uh, track a little bit, but I feel like the things that we did talk about the addictions, you know the behaviors that we exude that we're not happy that we we have all of these things. You gave such good biblical and practical answers to how we can deal with that, and that's really going to enhance our marriages. But for those who are struggling right now and they just feel like there is just no hope for my marriage, I can't forgive anymore, I can't love anymore, I'm too disappointed, they've checked out emotionally. Can you all give us just give two or three practical things that they can begin to do today? Mhm. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: so, um yeah, I, I it's uh, I it's kind of like the the love there Thing that if you, um, if we, any of us have seen that movie, and there's a book, but um, just um, as, as painful as it, as it is, because I've been in this boat, and, and the last thing you want to do is do something kind or, you know, affectionate or whatever with the spouse that um, is just the thorn in your flesh, do it anyway. So, so each day, um, do, do one thing and and it could be something simple like um, just serving your spouse in, in a way that you don't usually do. Or in my case, um, I remember, you know, we we had um, a long time where, you know, we didn't like each other. I, I didn't want to, you know, hold his hand or put my arm around him. I didn't want to show him any kind of affection whatsoever, blah, blah, blah. And so I would just, um, we'd be sitting there, and all of a sudden I'd put my hand on his leg, and it probably startled him, because <laughs> when you're in a really bad marriage, and all of a sudden there's a sign of affection, Stu was probably like, what are you doing? But do it anyway. So, um, so every day, um, act lovingly, that love is a verb and not a noun. Do a verb every day, and I am telling you, it's going to come back tenfold, um, your feelings of love are going to return to you, um, to the person that is doing the act of love, um, which is just, it's mm-hmm. such a gift from God. And so that that's the first thing um, that I would say, um, that love is a verb and not a noun, and do a, do one loving verb or action every day. That on, on my it. end, yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, then, then on my end, very practical. I do, I do not believe that, like, churches watching online or, um, you know, some of the stuff with the technology, social media, I call it anti-social media, but social media we have now, whether you're, it's your husband or your wife, both vice versa, we have people at church this way, the church is such a bastion of peace that you need to have a local yeah. church, um, regardless of what's happening in your relationship, that you can have a prayer life, if it, if, it, if it isn't with your spouse, it can be with other people. And that you can hear the word of God and that you can have that coin and of support from people so that you may feel like you're completely burned out and you can't do this anymore with a spouse um, and that you have other people that your spouse may not be there that you can pray with, that you can be with, that you can share with. And that emboldens and edifies and encourages us to just keep on, keep on, keep it on. And then you just keep on. You're praying for your your spouse praying and, and loving and loving
2: mhm
0: yeah. mm-hmm. oh that is so great and so audience there you have there you have some practical ways to to dive in it's it's too soon to give up don't give up God has put you together for a reason you know it's through the toughest times when you get through I know that the full endorsement would say's during that those toughest times are bonding times and and you learn about one another and and as they were talking about glorifying God, how great, how much greater could we glorify God than in the times when we are dying to what we would like to do to living to what God has called us to do. And that's in every aspect of our lives. I just want to thank you so much, um, Sue and Trish uh, Fullendorf, for joining us today. Uh, audience please go get there go get the book wall street to the well and with a minute left pastor Stu if they want to reach out to you I know you do you all do conferences of all types how would they reach out to you today
1: yeah the best way would be through um, my uh, my email which is Stu at RedemptionHills.com. and they can That's reach stu at redemptionhills.com and I'll, I'll always respond back to them
0: And all of that will be on my website and on our social media pages as well. So, audience, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. God is doing something incredible in your life. And what he has done for the full endorse, he is more than capable and really wants to do in your life and our lives today. So, full endorse, thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Audience, I hope that you'll join us next time right here on Coffee. Bye, everybody. To learn more about Kim's books, teaching materials, or to invite Kim to speak at your event, please visit kimcrable.org. Thank you for joining us today, and remember, to learn more, please visit kimcrable.org.